Hey everyone, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us once again online from wherever you are in the quietness of your home, your vehicle, or even at work. Maybe you're out for a run and you're connecting with us. It is a privilege to be with you here in this venue and through this medium. We're hoping this is the last time that we are online only as a church. We're getting ready next week to go back to a hybrid portion of our gathering time together, meaning that we will still have our online stream happening at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And along with that, we're going to have our in-person services happening here at our Lynn campus, right outside of Brockville at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. So you have your options there. You could choose whichever one fits your flavor for where you're at, your level of comfort, and all that good stuff. And we ask, if you're coming in person, make sure that you are coming out of a place of health. Make sure that you aren't facing any sort of illness of any kind when you come and gather. And instead, join us online if you're feeling a little bit under the weather. We are in part four of a five-part series that we've started this year called Space Invaders, taking a deeper dive into this idea of mission and what we can do as as people, as foreigners in in, in a land uh, where we're called to live and breathe and be countercultural, not removed or apart from the world, be in the world but not of the world. What can we do as as aliens and uh, living in this space and, and loving his neighbor? And it's been a fun journey so far. I just want to do a brief overview and recap where we've covered up to this moment. We started with a conversation about our age. We, we took a, a biblical perspective on that and this idea that we shouldn't use our age as an excuse. We should see it as an opportunity for us to grow and connect whatever age we happen to be. We're never too old to get to know more about Jesus or too young to get to know more about Jesus or to be used by Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Our, our goal with our lives is to inspire those around us. So let's get after it despite whatever age we might be or our comfort level with our age. Then we talked about in part two, our, our second week of our series, we talked about our stage of life and how we can embrace the moment that we are in by taking full advantage of all the experiences, the hurts, the pains, the habits, the hangups, all that stuff, giving them over to Jesus, whatever's in our hand, putting it in his hands and allowing him to reshape it and create beauty out of brokenness or challenges or even triumphs. And that was an amazing time. And then in part three, Jamie walked us through this idea of our provision is tied to our location. When we work for the benefit of where we've physically been placed through service, through providing information about who Jesus is, through conversations and all that stuff, when we do those things, we are partnering with Jesus as invaders of spaces here in our culture, bringing the hope and light of Christ, bringing just an awareness of it in those environments. In this part, and week number four, we're going to cover mission specifically and what it looks like from a biblical perspective, how we define it here at Sea Road Church. And I was thinking about that word mission. It's loaded. Maybe you remember this television show growing up or a series of movies called Mission Impossible. I loved that series and I loved elements of the television show because my favorite part is when these mission mission elements were handed out to the secret agent. They were done so in a really creative way, and then the message was going to self-destruct later. But there was this phrase that's always kind of stuck with me that I think back to frequently when I think about the term mission, and it's this. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. 
This is your mission should you choose to accept it. As a follower of Jesus, the moment that you fall in love with him, are willing to give your life to pattern it after who Jesus is, what he's all about, and live from that space, you are given an invitation to embrace the mission that he's called us to. It is yours if you should choose to accept it. It's not just about life in eternity. It's about life to the best and to the full right now from this moment forward and partnering with what Jesus wants to do in your lives. It's viewing every opportunity, every interaction with individuals in our world as gifts from Jesus for us to learn a little bit more about who he is and also make him known just by the way we choose to live and breathe and move. It's a wonderful thing. But not all of us take full advantage of that opportunity. We get stuck in different constructs. And so what we're going to do over this part and the last part in this series is kind of focus more on the the how-to pieces uh, of mission. How can we specifically grow and step into this idea of being space invaders in a positive expression of that word wherever we happen to be? Four answers to that. We're going to go to the word, to the Bible. If you've got one handy with me, with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of James, the second chapter We're going to be reading verses 14 through to 18. You can also join us um, on YouVersion. You can open that that Bible app and follow along there on the live event that we got happening uh, alongside of this teaching online. Chapter 2, verse 14, beginning right there. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. It's a potent section of scripture from this longer book written by James, who just so happened to be the half-brother of Jesus. And it's kind of midstream in this conversation and this theological ideal that kind of captivates a lot of Christians nowadays, and this emphasis on what it is that we need to believe. And while what we need to believe is, is good and right, and the pursuit of that is healthy, it can also be a distraction from us if we're trying to refine and funnel what it is, but what we believe instead of taking what we believe and putting it into practice. There's two big theological words that I want to share with you and then define for you that kind of share, uh, give us a little bit of insight into this dichotomy. The first is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means simply this, what you and I choose to believe about Jesus. It's the beliefs that we have and we hold about who Jesus is. That's orthodoxy. Orthopraxy is how you and I choose to live in light of what we believe about Jesus. 
How does that play out in a practical sense? Somebody might not even believe that Jesus exists, and so they choose, that's their orthodoxy. They don't believe that Jesus exists, that he is who he says he is, and so their orthopraxy informs that belief or reflects that belief by the way they choose to live. Maybe they treat other people around them as lesser human beings than themselves, taking full advantage of them in a variety of ways. If you and I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then it must That belief must inform the way that we choose to live from that moment forward. It's got to translate from orthodoxy into orthopraxy. That's what James is hitting on right here, because a lot of times we can get stuck in debates about what is right and what is wrong, and we can argue from from now until the end of time about things. And there'll be realities where you and I even don't agree about some certain things. We'll have differing opinions. We can see that expressed in just my choice of hockey team to cheer for. I enjoy cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Many of you disagree with me. Many of you agree with me, and the ones who agree are the wisest people associated and connected with Road. Just got to say that. You know I'm joking around. I say that in jest. What I'm saying that for and sharing that example is to highlight the the disconnect and the difference of opinion that exists in our world. It does even when we talk about matters of faith. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, let's major on the major things and not major on the minor things. Sometimes we can get stuck in the minor things on like the way you and I choose to use and engage in a relationship with alcohol or the way that you and I choose to celebrate our devotional time. Are we going to do it in the morning or are we going to do it in the evening? There'll be a difference of opinion and expression. Both expressions, a variety of expressions could be biblical in their foundation, but the way that you and I choose to interact can make all the difference in the world. That's why it's important for us to first understand what is it that our orthodoxy says? What is it that you and I believe about Jesus? And then how does that inform our orthopraxy, how you and I choose to live based on what it is that we believe? This is what James is talking about, putting our faith into practice. He's essentially saying, if we believe that God is good, then why wouldn't we live good lives? Why wouldn't we express his goodness to anyone and everyone that we have interactions with? Not because we have to do something for them, but because of what God has already done for us and for them. We want to call into light, call out of the darkness all that Jesus is doing right in the moment in our midst and be fully aware of that and being blessed by the gift that he gives us to interact with people in a variety of capacities. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, super important for us to understand the difference between them and how they have to work also in tandem in order for you and I to put our faith into practice in a real intentional way. And I said that we're going to be talking about mission, and there's three parts of mission that I want to highlight really quickly for us here today. The first is this. There's proclamation. The second is demonstration. The third is experiential. All three pieces or three ingredients have to be working together for us to step into, make sure that our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy are functioning together in tandem, moving us forward individually and as a community. Proclamation. We talked at length. Pastor Jamie led us through that 
the, in part three of our series of what it means to, to have information, the information that we have, and share it verbally with people that when we're, giving, when we're given the, the responsibility and the invitation to do so by the way we choose to live in a variety of capacities. Proclamation and using words, sometimes that's easy for a few of us to do. I Myself, I'm an orator. That's part of my, my job and role as your lead pastor is to speak to you and speak with you about the truth of God's word. And I love having the ability to do that. I need to use my words to communicate. But the majority of communication in our world today that we have between human beings is actually nonverbal. So we can spend all this time investing verbal, in our verbal communication, and we should do that, making sure that the words that we use reflect the God that we serve if we are followers of Jesus. But more importantly than that, or equally as important, I should say, is having our actions or our lifestyle reflect that. And that's the demonstration side of mission, making sure that our actions are speaking and reinforcing our words, or in some cases, providing us the opportunity to speak, the opportunity to be heard by first garnering respect and trust by the way we are choosing to love and live in the moment. The third part of mission for me, the ingredient kind of ties it all together and that's experiential. Because unless you and I have experienced the life-changing power of God, of Jesus, in every aspect of our lives, we will not have anything to demonstrate or proclaim in the moment. So unless we have experienced the goodness of God, we can talk intellectually about the goodness of God and theoretically about the goodness of God. But when it becomes life-changing for the audience that we happen to interact with through actions or through words is when it comes from a deep, deep place of authenticity, of experience. When we drill down and have understood the goodness of God, let me, let me spell it out like this. I think this is where James is headed when he's talking to his audience at that time, what we've read in, in chapter 2 here about words and actions and deeds. He talks about walking past someone that is in need. If somebody needs something to eat or needs something to warm them up, do we engage in that moment? Oftentimes we may not because we have yet to allow the fullness of the experience of the message of hope of Jesus to change the way that we live. If we were filling up a pitcher right now full of water and dumping it, what we would want to do, how we want our lives to reflect the gospel message is to have it cascade or overflow. And so as God dumps in his love that we experience on a personal level, that should ooze out of us, that should cascade out of our lives. Our experience of who Jesus said should, is should inform our, our demonstration, our actions, and our words about who Jesus is. All three of those parts of mission have got to be working together in tandem so that we don't, we don't miss out on what God wants to do in our lives and allow us to benefit from and even witness in the lives of others. All of that is working together, being in a place of mission. That's the practical elements that we're talking about when we use that word mission. I know it's pregnant, it's full of a lot of stuff, but that is what we're referring to from a sea road perspective and a biblical perspective when we say the word mission. You might be thinking to yourself, Jason, that sounds great, that's a good foundation, where do we go from here? 
I want to talk to you about some mile markers or mission markers because each one of us has been given the opportunity to engage in mission. Here's how we've defined it as a church community. Our current contextual language is this. We want to live and love like Jesus. We want to live and we want to love like Jesus. That's our mission. That's what we are going to be about. That's what we are going to do. Now, there are so many different ways that that can be expressed based on who you are, your gift mix, your age, your stage, your location, in particular, where your family is, where your work is, all those different factors. It has almost infinite possibilities in how it can be expressed and experienced and demonstrated and proclaimed. And this is where the hard work comes in for you and I. We need to engage and enter into a process where we refine our own understanding of that expression of mission. It's not words that we've come up with or we dreamed up with. It's based on the greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave, which was to love God and love other people. We want to live and love like Jesus. Love God, love other people. So I want to give you three mission mile markers, three mission markers that will kind of frame how you and I can choose to express our individual mission to the best of our ability. Number one, your mission, my mission will always involve people. Our mission as followers of Jesus is for the benefit of people. Anytime we're engaged in activity or practices or policies that diminish or crush people, those things aren't from God. Those things aren't rooted in the Bible. The gospel message of Jesus is all about freedom and hope, life to the full. And because of that, our expression of mission will always involve people. Back in the early 2000s, before I was married, I happened to be on a mission trip, and I remember Jesus speaking these words into my life at that time, and I never knew the potency of them until much later. And I'm still, to be honest, discovering intimate layers of what that means. He said, Jason, I want you to partner with me, my mission, should I choose to accept it. I want you to partner with me in expressing what it means to be a father to the fatherless. Expressing what does it mean to be a father to the fatherless. And here's the thing about fathering. Sometimes you are invited to be a father. Sometimes you are given the responsibility of being a father. But in either case, you have to take full advantage of that opportunity. What I didn't understand at the time is how people-oriented that expression of mission was going to be. Now, we can be wordsmiths, we can be good at policies and procedures and all those things. We can be a more technical-minded or administratively-minded, but in the way that we express mission, it's going to always gravitate back towards people. You can be an exceptional individual who works with their hands, and maybe the work of your hands is meant to benefit people by changing their oil when they're unable to do so, or shoveling their driveway when they're no longer physically capable of doing that on their own, or lending your assets like your snowblower or your other family members that can help with a larger project that need more hands because many hands make light work, whatever it might be. Your mission, my mission, will always involve people in some capacity. So a great question to ask God about your personal expression of what it means to love and live like Jesus might be, Jesus, who do I need to be aware of that you want me to learn from and invest in around me? That could be where you start to refine your mission.
another mile marker of mission is that your mission will always inspire love for God and love for others. If you think about some of the most inspirational stories throughout human history, uh, people like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or these great iconic figures in Christianity of some kind, maybe it was even the neighbor across your street who did something incredible, oftentimes you see something in the life of somebody else that inspires something in your own life. As followers of Jesus, when people witness our lives unfold right in front of them by what we say, by what we do, because of what we've experienced about who Jesus is, it should inspire them towards loving God and loving other people. If it doesn't, if it inspires them to like self-sufficiency or in other practical self-centered ways, then our mission is actually misaligned. It's no longer biblical in nature because our mission will always involve people and it will always inspire people to, to love God in some way, to grow in their curiosity and to love other people in some way. That's another mile marker of mission. The third one is this, your mission, my mission will never be perfect. We are unable to perfectly reflect God's heart for the world, but in our imperfectness, God makes our, our activity and our expression of hope that much more potent in our world because he fills in the gaps where you and I cease to be able to live and breathe and move. That is what is called the work of the Holy Spirit. So while you and I might not be able to create perfection on our own, Jesus makes us perfect in those moments and in those opportunities. We just get to step into them with great intentionality, with great welcoming, with great invitation, and from that space, allow God to do what it is that only He can do. And we get to bear witness to His activity. That's what mile markers of mission look like. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, Jason, that is a lot to digest where do we go from here now? Well, I want to suggest to you a, a rhythm that each one of us can adopt coming into this week that we're heading into and, and help us uh, unearth what our own individual expression of God's mission for the world, which is to draw all people to himself and, and get them to know who he is, what our individual expression might just look like. Again, it's another three-tier process, so hang on as we unpack it a little bit. In my time with Jesus, what I'm learning and discovering is that my own personal mission has different phases or seasons. There's a season where I need to review it. Is it something that I still care about? And maybe that's where you might be in your life right now, thinking about this mission that I thought God sent me on, is it something that I still care about? Ask Jesus, invite him into that process. Call it the review stage. You want to review whatever mission you are engaged in. Jesus, is this what you still have in mind for me? How I should live and breathe and move right where you've placed me? Is my mission on point and in tandem, working in tandem alongside of you? Am I right in step with you? That's called the review season. You might discover that it is, and then you can step into the second season where it's called a renew season, where you re-up, let's go again, let's continue to go, let's continue to go further and, and grow more, grow deeper, whatever it happens to be. Or it might be something else, 
where you need, where you've discovered that you are misaligned in your expression of mission. And now you need to revive it. And more importantly, you need Jesus to revive it, restore it, refresh it, whatever it might be. If you filter through the, the way you choose to live, the way I choose to live, if I filter it through those layers, I can then better refine my, my practices, my demonstration, my proclamation, and my experience of the gospel. I shared that memory with you from my own life when I was on a mission trip, God sharing with me, hey, I want you to partner with me in becoming a father to the fatherless. I got to tell you, every time I enter a review stage, I learn some deeper things about who Jesus is in my own life and in the lives of other people, increasing my opportunities to be aware of where God is working and also to partner with where God is working in the lives of people. When I review it, it becomes renewed, it becomes revived and restored, and I get excited about the opportunities and the potential and all the things that are right in front of us. Knowing that the means or the ends to the means is not up to me. The fruit of all of that labor is completely and entirely up to Jesus and what he produces in those moments. My responsibility is simply being willing to embrace the mission that God has called me to. That's your responsibility as well, to embrace the expression of mission that God has called you to. So I want you to think about this. What does it mean on a personal level for you in this moment, right now, at your age, your stage of life, your location, to embrace the mission of God as expressed as to love and live like Jesus? What does that mean for you? Maybe you need to enter that review stage, that renew stage or that revive stage of what that means on a personal level. And so here's how we're going to collectively do that as a church family and individually express that. Two days from now, on the 25th of January, I want to invite you into a day of prayer where you and I will individually choose to set aside 15 to 20 minutes in some point in time throughout that day to pursue God through prayer, through listening and responding to whatever he might say to us about this idea of mission expressed on a personal level, expressed as a church community in our region, in our city, and around the world. What is it that Jesus has a mind for us as we spend that time with him? 15 to 20 minutes. It's not a lot of time. For those of us who are comfortable with prayer, we're going like, oh my goodness, I can give way more. Then go ahead and invest way more time. For those of us who might be a little bit nervous about prayer and what it could look like, or even finding the margin in our calendar to engage in an activity like that, set aside just that small sliver of time and, and opportunity and see what God might do in that moment. See what he do, might do to, to remind you of how he's wired you and made you to express love for him and for other people. I'm telling you, church family, if we can do this together collectively as individuals and an entire body, I can't help but dream about what God might do in us in that moment. The greater awareness of what he's already up to. Maybe he will loosen and break chains in the lives of people. Maybe he will answer prayers that we've been praying for years. Maybe he will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. If we want to get real in our mission, we need to grow in our intimacy with Jesus. And maybe it just starts 
with setting aside some time to listen and to hear from Him through an activity called prayer. That's my hope and my desire as we dive into the concluding, concluding elements of this season and this time frame, that you and I would grow in our learning and our understanding, be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that in what we say and in what we do, our lives radiate the presence of hope and life and joy to the best of our ability. I want to pray for you, church family. I want to pray for you wherever you are right here in this moment. If you want to open up your hands and receive whatever Jesus might want to land into your heart and your mind and your space, feel free to do that. Or just let these words wash over you and encourage you. Let's pray together. Father, I am so grateful that we have the opportunity to call you dad. You are the perfect expression of what a parent looks like. And sometimes, Lord, our our earthly expression of parenting is far less than who you are. It's outside of your character. And so where there's wounds present, would you fill in the gaps? Would you restore mindsets and heart sets? Would you bring healing for wounds that are are still gnawing away at our, our minds and our souls and our hearts? Would you allow us to experience the fullness of your mission, which was to seek and to save, to grant hope and life, not condemnation, to grant hope and life to anyone who chooses to follow after you. And God, I'm so thankful that you love all of the people. Every single one that's ever been in existence is in existence or will exist in the future. You are motivated out of love because love is who you are. And as followers of you, those of us who have chosen to align ourselves with you, would would you ever increasingly allow our lives to reflect this love in a deep, meaningful, and profound way as we choose to engage in our own unique expression of what it means to love and live like Jesus? God, I ask over this next 48 plus hours that you would refine you would help us review our mission, that you would renew it, that you would revive it where it needs to be revived so that the people in our lives who have yet to discover who you are, your life-saving message of hope and joy, would see it in our lives and by their curiosity be prone to move towards who you are. Father, I ask that you would bless us and protect us. I'd ask that you'd make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us. Would you grant us your favor and your peace in all things and always at all times. We pray this in the name of Jesus. 